0: The practice of law has become just as specialized as the practice of medicine. You have a broken arm, now you go to an orthopedist. You know, you've got some tingling in your legs, you go to a neurologist. You've got a personal injury case, you should be looking for a personal injury attorney. Not a divorce attorney or a bankruptcy attorney who puts one line on their website or in their Yellow Pages ad and says, oh, we also handle serious injury cases. that's, That's a recipe for disaster, quite frankly.
1: Hey everybody, it's Jeremy Lynch and Michael Turner from Oboe Interactive. Today on Cases for Causes, we are joined by Chris Zakar, managing partner at the Zakar Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. Chris's main areas of expertise are personal injury and wrongful death. He has practiced law in Arizona since 1992 after earning his Juris Doctor degree from the University of Arizona College of Law. Chris is admitted to practice law in all city, county, and state courts in Arizona and in the United States District Court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the United States Supreme Court. Chris is a former member of the Board of Directors of Arizona Association for Justice and has achieved lifetime member status in AZAJ. He is also a member of the American Association for Justice and the State Bar of Arizona. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll jump right in. Chris, thanks for
2: joining today. In our discussions leading up to today, you mentioned something to us about firms like yours who have a history and specialize in trying cases, possibly being overtaken a little bit by large quote unquote ad firms. Can you speak to us a little bit more about why you think that is and how it could affect PNCs looking for a lawyer, recovering what they deserve?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, don't, I don't think the, the right descriptor is being taken over by some of these bigger firms. Um, what we talked about specifically was, you know, being able to recognize and having some effective means of communicating to people in need, who are the firms who are, are willing to go to bat for you and willing to go to bat for you, mean, willing to file a lawsuit if necessary to get you the best result. Versus the firms who just don't do that, and by and large, and it's not all of them, but by and large, the firms who just don't do that are these big advertising law firms. You know, it amazes me when I talk to attorneys from those firms or or the you know the the bigwigs from those firms, and they say, "Well, litigation, litigation and lawsuits, they're just not our model." I don't get it. I don't I've been doing this for 31 years and I don't get it. I don't I don't understand how you can be a personal injury law firm and not have the we'll call it a department in place to file lawsuits for your clients. If in fact that's what needs to be done to get them the best result because come on, if you're not willing to do that, if you're not able to do that, then what position does that put your clients in? It puts your clients in a position of simply having to take the last, however low, crappy offer that the insurance company is going to give because you're not willing to put in the time or the effort to do exactly what you were hired to do, and that is to get the client the best result, All right, And sometimes, sometimes that means filing a lawsuit. And if you're one of these big big firms, these big advertising firms, primarily who you know, have a reputation for not filing a lawsuit, then how are you ever going to get the best result for your client? I mean, if I'm an insurance company, I'm dealing with one of these firms, I know you don't file lawsuits. You're no threat to me whatsoever. Why am I ever going to make you a fair offer for the case? I'm going to lowball you. If you're one of those firms then you've got one of two choices. You've got to talk your client into it and convince your client that's the best they can do, which is unethical and probably borderline malpractice, or you've got to go out and find a firm like mine to work with who does just that, who files these lawsuits to get better results. And if you're not willing to if you're not willing to do that then you're doing a real disservice to these people and unfortunately, you know, these people only know what their attorneys tell them and they don't know the difference and there's what we talked about previously is there's there really is no effective way of communicating that to the public it's sad but that's the that's the stark reality
2: of today's practice of law and along those same lines arizona is one of the states where these alternative business structures are legal which for listeners who might not be familiar is Essentially law firms where non-lawyers are, are part of the ownership group and they have decision making power. do you feel that ABS has or ABS firms have contributed to the growing number of what you would say advertising firms, these large firms that aren't taking cases to trial? It's we, we haven't really seen the impacts yet. They're here. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, this is a relatively new law. It's only been in existence for about two and a half years. But we know those firms are already here. And I will tell you, Michael, I've heard from half a dozen of them already. And, and what that is is, two and a half years ago, Arizona decided to allow ownership of law firms to non-attorney owners. Now, you still have to have an attorney in the office in Arizona to be able to truly practice law and handle cases. but. You know, Arizona and Phoenix in particular is a very, very good market. I could could make a really good pitch and explain to you why it's probably the best personal injury market in the country. And so for the the powers that be in Arizona to open up Arizona's market to non-attorney owners is just ludicrous. And they come here, all they have to do is advertise dip their wick in Arizona. They, they'll they start bringing in cases, because there's lots of them. They may know what they're doing. They may not know what they're doing, but I've been contacted by, like like I said, probably six or seven of them who are looking for legitimate attorneys and, and litigation attorneys like us to be able to step in and handle that case if push comes to shove, and you know the insurance company won't play fair with them, and they need to take that next step. It's it's going to be become more prevalent. Like I said, we're early early on in this what I'll call experiment, but it's really not an experiment. It's a it's a really sad day for the people of the state of Arizona in opening up a market to even more entities who really have no idea what they're doing. They just they they want to make a buck and the state of Arizona has given them license to come to Arizona to make that buck and, and they they really have no idea what they're doing. And people don't know the difference.
1: So, Chris, is is there anything in the law that states breakdown of the ownership responsibilities related to the ABS structure where it's, there has to be a lawyer in the office and part of the ownership group? But is there anything that says it has to be 50-50? It has to be anything like that where, There are protections for people who may use one of these law firms?
0: No, there are none whatsoever. They have to apply as an EBS entity what specific all the requirements are. I don't know. I think part of the requirements are they have to take our Arizona ethics exam. But then, you know, once once they've been approved, they can, you know, more and more we see it. They're not even brick and mortar here. They just, they're projecting online this alleged law firm, and they they can go out and hire the, the kid who graduated from law school and passed the bar in Arizona yesterday, who knows nothing. Now they've got a licensed Arizona attorney in the office to make them legitimate, and they can start grabbing those cases and maybe doing Maybe doing good work, maybe doing harm. I, I don't really know. I just don't understand why, why Arizona thought this was a good
1: idea. Wow. So that's that's an interesting model, and I we guess we'll have to see how that, that goes in Arizona and some of the other states, obviously, that have incorporated or allowed this ABS structure.
0: Yeah, I think there's only two. I think Utah and Arizona, it's not been the rule for decades, whatever, you, however many years you want to classify it, for a very, very good reason because these decisions should not be, you know, law firms should not be non-attorney-owned for-profit entities simply looking to make a return on their investment. That's never a good model in providing, you know, competent and ethical representation for people who really need it. You're just looking to to squeeze a buck a return out of your investment. It's a profit model. It's a a bad idea. Just a bad idea.
1: So let's talk about something else uh, specific to Arizona, which, well, not only Arizona, but certified specialists. According to the data that we found, less than 1% of lawyers hold this distinction. Can you talk to us about what it means to be a certified specialist and what does that do to differentiate lawyers?
0: Yeah, I can. And and boy, what a great segue issue, guys, from what we just talked about. So part of what we just discussed was the ability of the consumers, the ability of injured people to sort the, the wheat from the, the shaft and, and try to figure out exactly who is the right attorney to hire in any particular case. And Arizona has a designation of certified specialists it's a designation where they provide for six or eight different areas of law. I I don't remember bankruptcy, criminal, estates and trusts, but my designation is personal injury and wrongful death. And in order to be a certified specialist in injury and wrongful death, you have to be a trial attorney. There's no way you can get it without being a trial attorney. You have to have submitted the fact that you've tried X number of cases You need to get the endorsement from attorneys on the same side of the fence in the same field. You need to get endorsement from the defense attorneys you've tried the cases against. You need to get endorsement from the judges whose courtrooms you've tried those cases in. There's a big packet that gets put together and gets submitted. Uh, Once you you satisfy those qualifications, you've got to take a four-hour exam and assume you pass that exam, and then the whole file goes up to the, the committee really as the who's who in personal injury and wrongful death in Arizona, the people who are established, the people who are respected, the people who have been doing it for a long time. And they need to make a decision based on everything you're looking at. Legal qualifications, case results, ethics, everything as to whether you deserve to be in in that group. And it's a it's a great distinction to become a certified specialist in the area. And in Arizona specifically, there are probably 18,500 attorneys are licensed in this state presently, and maybe more, and I think there are like 125 total or less that are certified specialists in injury and wrongful death. It's a great certification that if, if you're looking for the right attorney for your case, um, look for somebody who's certified a certified specialist in personal injury and wrongful death, then you can be rest assured that that you're, you've you've got the right attorney for your case. Uh, anything else is is a crapshoot. I mean, I, I'm not saying you know certainly there there are qualified attorneys who are not certified specialists. They just haven't taken the time. But how do you know how do you know the difference with all the advertisers? And you know you can you can say anything in your advertising. You know, voted number one attorney in arizona well nobody votes you voted yourself number one you get to put it out of billboard and it looks really good but nobody really votes the people don't understand that and uh, if they knew enough to look for a certified specialist they'd know that they're they're with the right they're with the right attorney and the right law firm
1: can you give us an example of you holding a distinction like that or a qualification like that uh helped you in a case uh, either get a more favorable outcome or set you up for uh, success?
0: The real meat behind
1: the moniker is
0: experience. And I have had people who have called me and who have hired me specifically because they've seen that I'm a certified specialist in injury and wrongful death. But I will tell you also, it like I said, you, you need the endorsement of Attorneys in the same field, defense attorneys on the other side of the fence, the judges and whatnot. So the respect that the experience brings in the community is is significant. And I've been doing this for 31 years. People who have worked with me and people who've worked against know that I'm, I'm very good at what I do. And they know that they're going to be treated fairly. They're going to be treated professionally. But they also, they know they're in for a fight you know, occasionally we get uh, we get a referral to our firm and we'll say, well, how did you find us? Because we always want to qualify, you know, where our referrals are coming from. I was dealing with the, with the adjuster at Liberty Mutual Insurance Company and they told me to call your firm because they know every time they get a case, your firm, they know they're in for a fight, right? I mean, it's, I don't know that being a certified specialist has ever itself gotten me the result, is the experience behind that title that people are familiar with and, and aware of. And my trial results, you know, speak for themselves. And that—that's what gets the results. That's—that's that's what potentially makes an insurance company or a defense attorney want to, at some point, in time, kind of throw in the towel and say, "Okay, we we did as much as we can do here, and and we know who we're dealing with." And gosh, mm-hmm. it's time just
2: to work on getting this case resolved. That's that's kind of how it works. So in for the fight. I like that. Along those same lines, I know you mentioned personal injury and wrongful death. Are there other practice areas or case types where it's advantageous to hire a specialist? Or is it just a general, you know, all specialists will do a better job than those who are not?
0: Again, there are a lot of very, very good attorneys in Arizona who are not Certified specialists, but very, very good in their area. The issue is, how do you how do you know? I mean, how do you recognize that? You know, anybody. Uh, you can open up an ad in the Yellow Pages, and you know, they're advertising. We are a a domestic relations law firm. We handle child custody disputes. We handle divorces. We handle this. We handle that. And and uh, then, you know, three quarters the way down their page, they'll throw in this line: We also handle serious accident injury cases they're trolling for accident cases, because the the perception is that these these cases are or can be easy, right? I mean, anybody who gets rear-ended out on the State Route 51 on their way to work, any shellac can handle that case. And, 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 you know, I hear that all the time, and my response to that is, yeah, really? Okay, well, why don't you give it a shot and see how that works out for you. The practice of Law has become just as specialized as the practice of medicine. You have a broken arm, now you go to an orthopedist. You know, you've got some tingling in your legs, you go to a neurologist. You got a personal injury case, you should be looking for a personal injury attorney, not a divorce attorney or a bankruptcy attorney who puts one line on their website or in their Yellow Pages ad and says, Oh, we also handle serious injury cases. Hey, that's, that's a recipe for disaster, quite frankly. So, You know, there are, like I said, there are probably six or eight different areas of specialization in Arizona. The best recommendation I can give people is if you're looking for a bankruptcy attorney, look for somebody who's a certified specialist in bankruptcy. Same thing for all of these different areas. You can find them on the State Bar website and probably Google it and find it that way as well. But going to uh, a particular attorney who is not a personal injury attorney, but dabbling in it that's just going to get the attorney potentially in trouble for screwing the case up. And it's, it, you're the one, it's your case. You're the one who's going to lose it. So, you know, you, Hey, they're a nice guy. Okay, great. But this is, this is the only case you have. And it seems to me you want to find the best attorney you can find for the best result and certified specialization is the way
1: and the reason the state bar came up with those designations to begin with. So when you become a certified specialist, Does that narrow your focus with your practice areas for your firm so that you don't get spread too thin? I've seen many law firms list tons and tons of practice areas that they specialize in. And and you look at the size of the firm and, you know, some firms are obviously larger than others and have, you know, huge staffs and might be able to handle all of these different types of cases. But for some, for a firm like yours, and, you know, you've been in law for practicing for 31 years or has that behooved you to kind of narrow your focus and just focus on personal injury and wrongful death or is that just a focus area and then the rest of the cases kind of fall in line behind that
0: no that for for us for me personally and for the attorneys who are in my firm it's it's that's our focus that is our that's what all we do right We want to do one thing and we want to do it well. And there are other firms that, you know, uh, attorneys will dabble in different areas, I suppose, to each their own. But that's not what we do. We want to do one thing. We want to do it well. That's all we do, personal injury and wrongful death. And, you know, we focus on that, keep our focus on that. We keep educated on that. We, We know the trends. We know the law. We know the claimant. We know what insurance companies are doing. We know what's happening down in court. We know what juries are doing. We know what they're thinking typically, so we can best advise our client. Hey, you know, here's the result. Here's here's the risk. Here's what could happen. You know, we that's all we that's all we do. Others may
1: do it the other way, but that's all we do. So knowing. That you have a laser focused on personal injury and wrongful death in or with your current law firm kind of goes against a little bit how you were in college. You had an idea that you might have gone into accounting, but you realized you might not be cut out for math and then decided to go into law. Give me a little background on uh, how that process went. For
0: you. Oh, oh! I've been discovered. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was it was really interesting. It's, it's a cute story. I mean, I tell people that. Uh, people say, "Why did you decide to become an attorney?" And my my cutesy first response is because I'm I'm not smart enough to be an accountant. Uh, the truth behind that curtain is when I was at ASU, I was an accounting major. I was a declared accounting major. Well, in order to be an accounting major, of course, you first have to be admitted into the College of Business. And in your first two years, when you're doing your core, you're you're doing what needs to be done in order to ultimately get admitted into the college of business. And my fall off was algebra. My brain there's a wire connected in my brain or something. I don't know what it is. I can't do algebra. When I was in grade school, I could do math faster than people could punch the numbers into a calculator. And because of that, there was a group of us who was granted early access to some high school programs and high school, you know, at that point in time was algebra. And gosh, dang it, once they once they started introducing letters with numbers, I just fell apart. There was a course at ASU that you had to pass in order to get into the College of Business. Math 210, I think it's still there. Algebra, calculus, and I could, I, I worked for hours and hours hours. I, I did, did tutoring. I went to professors' offices. I could understand the steps as they were shown to me it's a very logical thing but i just could not formulate the steps in my head and i ultimately decided i, I had to choose a different career path and i i had a, a buddy at the time who i was an undergrad. Right? he was just finishing law school and um i took him out to lunch and i said hey i'm thinking about doing this think about the law school weird what do you think and he said could be a good path and i said well a little bit concerned because um, you know, I, I know it's gonna be expensive. I got nobody to pay for it. I, I'm gonna to have to take out loans in order to get it done. I just don't know if I want to be in that much debt. And he said to me, Well, geez, sounds like you don't want to be an attorney. And I said, Well no. I said, Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I think I really might might like to go that route. I just don't know that I want to take on that much risk and that much debt. And his next response was something i'll never forget here i am 36 years later and i can tell you exactly what he said he said sounds like you don't want to be an attorney so that's pretty simple right i mean how bad do you want it you want it go get it if you don't then if you're afraid of something then don't so um i went to law school came out three years later opened my own firm now here we are 28 years later and that good good friend who gave me that advice has now worked for me for the last eight years.
1: Wow, awesome story! So you've been practicing for thirty plus years, been doing this a long time. What is it that brings you back to the office every day?
0: You know, it's 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 interesting. My certainly my my duties have evolved and changed over the years, but gosh, just just doing the job. I mean, I I still thirty one years into it, really, really. Like what I do. I like helping people out who need it. And my biggest fault is taking a case that maybe we shouldn't take given the size of our caseload and the extent of everything we're doing, just because I look at it and say, okay, this is wrong. Right? I mean, you've got a case where a client is injured and they got fifteen thousand dollars in medical bills. And the insurance company, for whatever reason, is offering them nine thousand dollars to settle. I mean, I see that as un- unjust. And that case should be getting twenty five, thirty grand depending upon the circumstances, right? And there's no rhyme or reason for why they're only offering nine. Well, we've evolved to the point we've got enough experienced attorneys that honestly we're probably beyond taking that case just for the value for the size of it but i don't care i don't care i i i have to what they're doing is wrong you know i say i've said for years that if insurance companies really treated people the way they claim to in their commercials i wouldn't have a job right you'd be in good hands they'd be a good neighbor they're not That's not what they do. They're they're trying to figure out a way to lowball you and screw you and do everything else they can to you, so I don't have to pay you any money at all. And that's that's why I have a job and that's why we're as busy as we are, and that's why all the injury attorneys are as busy as they are, because we're dealing with insurance companies. So I don't have it in my craw to prove insurance companies wrong, but I just I've always had it in my mind that, you know, people just need fairness and people need a fight and people need to be treated the right way and and if you've been wronged do you you have the right to seek redress and, and get an appropriate recovery and a, an appropriate settlement or appropriate result for your case it's not about getting people the biggest number we can possibly get up it's about it's, a, it's about getting something that's appropriate you know getting your medical bills paid getting lost wages reimbursed making sure your property damage is taken care of and then what I've always referred to as I'm sorry dollars right? Jeez, we've taken care of all your debt that we cause you. Here's some extra money. We, we call that compensatory damages, but here's some extra money for your pain, for your suffering, for the hassle we caused you. I, I refer to those as I'm sorry dollars. And the, the, you know, the bigger, the, the bigger, the harm, the more I'm sorry dollars there should be. That's just the way the system is supposed to work. And after 31 years, people also, they ask me, do you still like what you do? I say, I still love what I do. Honestly, the only way I could love it more, I think, is if I didn't have to do it for a living. I mean that, that tells you how much I still really, really enjoy what I do. If I could if I could do it just for the, the craft, for the hobby of of helping people without having to worry about, you know, earning the living for for me and my family. To me, that's that's Shangri-la. I would love that.
2: So Chris, in your Thirty plus years of practicing law. Is there a case that you know stands out to you as one you'd like to share, or one that really just fueled your fire to keep keep going and just pushing your practice forward? Yeah, there's one
0: one in particular that I can think of that really stands out, and it was a it was an awful case. And as I as I tell you the facts here, again, it it dang near brings a tear to my eye, but. There was this really nice family from California. They were from Southern California. And mom, dad, 17-year-old daughter, and 6-year-old daughter, they had driven from Southern California to Tucson to take their 17-year-old daughter to school to start her college career at, at U of A. And they had dropped her off, and they were headed back to California through Phoenix on Interstate 10. As they approached Phoenix, there was the... Interstate 10 was designed and constructed back in 1967 and opened in 67 with two lanes in each direction. At that point in time, I think Phoenix was somewhere in the range of around 350,000 people and Tucson was somewhere in the range of around 60,000 people. And fast forward 30-ish years, 35 years, and now Phoenix has exploded into 4 million people and Tucson is half a million plus. And yet the Interstate 10 in each direction was two lanes. And despite the amount of traffic, the one thing the state had never done, and still to this day, sadly and remarkably, it's not done, is put a median barrier up between the opposing directions of travel. We see it in certain parts of the state. We see it in other states all over the place. Arizona has ignored the problem. And so anyway, so these people are heading back into Phoenix. They're about five miles south of the city. And There's an interaction between a car and a big truck going the opposite way. Car loses control, shoots across the median, hits our clients. Our clients hardly see it coming. Car spins. Our client, sitting in the passenger seat, the mom, once the spinning stops, she opens her eyes, and she's the only one left in the vehicle. Her husband and her six-year-old daughter have been pulled out and, of course, deceased. So they were represented by a very respected firm in Southern California who decided that they didn't want to take on the state for family to have median barriers in place. They referred it over to another very respected firm in Phoenix who decided ultimately that it was too big of a task for them. Too much time, too much money. Nobody ever won a lack of median barrier case against the state of Arizona and they just weren't in for it. And so just coincidentally an investigator they used for some of their cases was the same person I used for some of my cases. And he told me about the case and I said, I'd be interested in looking at it. So he brought me the case. I looked at it. I flew over to California. I met with the family mom who was in the car, her parents, and they were just, just, just what a dynamite family. And I, I got back to my office the next day. A paralegal walked in and looked at me and she said, oh boy, we're taking the case, aren't we? I said, yeah, we're taking this case. And so engaged one of my colleagues to co-counsel the case. The accident actually happened in August of 2007. By the time we got it to trial, it was February of 2012. We tried the case for two weeks. The jury was out for about two hours, which is typically a sign that they're not going to find in favor of the plaintiff of my family. They, you know, the typical mindset is that they need more time to consider and think about, think through their damages and what they're going to award. And so we we walked into court thinking, wow, we sure, we sure took it to them. But gosh dang it! So the judge calls and the jury have reached verdict. Yes, we've reached a verdict. Uh, would you hand your verdict to the bailiff? Bailiff, would you read and record the verdict? And Reading the verdict, the bailiff said, We, the jury, do impaddle and swore in the love entitled matter. Upon our oaths, do find in favor of of hangs hangs in the air. The only word we want to hear there is plaintiff. And he says, we do find in favor of the plaintiff. And our client who is sitting behind us. This nice lady who lost her husband and daughter just starts sobbing out loud, just and we're, we're looking at each other and going, okay, Diana, wait for it. There's more to come. We we haven't won yet because the next thing they do is award damages. And the damage it's for the family was $7.8 million. But boy, the last shoe to drop is comparative fault. And in Arizona, it's a comparative fault, thing, right? They can say, well, we think the vehicle that crossed over was this percentage fault. We think the truck that caused it to over, was this percentage fault? Well, we think the state you know was not at fault I mean they can they can give us this huge award and then take that all away with just with their allocation of fault and so we find in favor of plain know we find the full damages to be 7.8 million dollars we find the allocation of fault to be state of Arizona 100 percent and the sobs got bigger and well I'll tell you what if you ever wanted to feel like you had truly done the job you had hired to do for a family that was as deserving as anybody has ever been. February 9, 2012 was that day in my career. I'll I'll, I'll just never forget it. And it was so gratifying to get such a great result for such good people who had lost so much that, that's not the biggest verdict I've ever obtained, but it's probably the most career-satisfying job we've ever done. Dealing with attorneys on the other side who weren't nice, and having clients who were so nice. You know, my co-counsel in opening statement broke down crying, and you're not supposed to do that. But that was how we came to know this family over time, and how much we cared just to get the just to get the great result for them. And We were able to do that. Ultimately, we had to wait another three years, as you know, appeal comes, and the court of appeals agreed with us. And then the case went up to the Arizona Supreme Court, and we had to wait until May 18 of 2015 for the final result. And the Arizona Supreme Court affirmed the affirmed the verdict. And you know, just a great, great story for this family. But that's
2: that's a long story. But that's that's my number one, no doubt about it. How long? that process takes and for that family who it's probably all they're thinking about all throughout their day to finally get that result is, is probably just, you could feel it through them. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. It
0: took on eight
2: years, but
0: um, you know, when it was all over, it was just a big result for them.
1: Chris, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about your firm and what's important to you and hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Uh,
0: Holler at me. Let me know. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. I
1: very much appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Chris. I want to thank Chris so much for joining us today. We truly appreciated him coming on and sharing his expertise. If you want to find out more about Chris and the Zakar Law Firm and the work they do related to personal injury or wrongful death, you can visit their website at zakarlaw.com or check them out on Instagram at zakarlaw. Law. I want to thank all of you out there for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Cases for Causes and would like to support the podcast, smash that subscribe button, share it with others, post about it on social media, and always leave us a rating or review. To catch all the latest from OBU Interactive, you can follow us on Instagram at OBU Interactive or visit us on the web at OBUInteractive.com. Thanks again, and until next time, work passionately, live peacefully.